inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thank you for listening to my podcast about horse training, equestrian sports, and building a better connection with your horse. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Back at the ranch, well, it's been an exciting time. You know, this is my first podcast of 2024, so Happy New Year's, everyone. We gave ourselves a little holiday break, uh, so I've got a little catching up to do with you. I haven't been home much a lot lately, to be honest. I've been doing a lot of traveling, some of it business and a little bit of it recreational. Um, Rich and I went to Fort Worth, Texas for just about a full week. We were there in early December for the National Cutting Horse Futurity and um, also uh, goes on at the same time is the Western Bloodstock Sales. And over six days, I watched about 600 cutting bred quarter horses come through the sale ring, mostly youngsters and breeding stock, mostly very high dollar uh, horses, some of them trained cutters. Uh, Rich was looking at the trained horses. I think there were two days of um, sales with trained horses. And I was shopping for a yearling, as I have been for years. And, you know, I, we saw a lot of really great horses. Whether you buy something or not, to me, it's just a whole lot of fun um, to go to these sales and you learn so much and you see so many horses, uh, really highly bred athletic machines. And um, it's just, I, I could never grow tired of it. Well, uh, to be honest, after about six days and 600 horses, I was starting to get a little tired of sitting on those hard seats, but it can definitely become addictive going to horse sales. It's a lot of fun, but it requires a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience, a lot of research, and a lot of close-up inspection of the horses who are spread out all over a huge facility. So there's a lot of footwork. Um, and then, uh, plus, there's those spur-of-the-moment decisions that you have to make on whether or not to jump into the bidding or go go higher and higher or whatever the case may be. So it's an exciting sport. We had a great time. Rich was successful in finding a horse. In fact, pretty early on in the week, we were able to buy this horse. He's a four-year-old um, trained cutter. He drop your hand cutter, beautiful athletic horse. He's an own son of highbrow cat and out of a lovely dual ray mare and it's kind of my um, dream breeding combination there he's just my time just my size so i'm looking really forward to riding him even though rich thinks he bought him for himself actually the horse is a little younger than than what rich would have liked but knowing that um, this horse was a good fit for me and i don't really have a horse to ride right now he um, he thought this would be a good horse. So, and we got him at a really great price. So we're super happy with him. He's very sweet. He's beautiful horse. Um, and right now we're just rehabbing him. Rich named him Tom. I can't, I can't even remember what his registered name is at this point, but um, Rich nicknamed him Tom as in Tom cat. And um, right now he's just resting and um, having a little rehab after a 
concentrated spell of training and showing. So we, uh, he, you know, he had a little soreness here and there in the joints. Um, we had some biologic treatments uh, done. So we're just kind of resting him up right now, just starting to get back, get him back into um, some exercise. So it'll be fun to get going on him. And then um, not long after we got that horse home, um, actually the day after Christmas, Rich and I and our friend George flew to Alabama, where we reunited with our boat called the Legacy, and we started another long trip south um, on the inland waterways all the way to the Mobile Bay. So we went about 250 miles on this particular excursion, um, three days underway. Uh, As boating always is, it was fun and exciting. Uh, Not too much drama. We had great weather, Um, but it's a lot of adventure. You're, you know, passing these gigantic commercial tows, pushing barges. You're navigating through giant locks that drop you 40 or 50 feet into the next waterway. And then you're, then we were tiptoeing through the mobile shipping channel with intense marine traffic we were making our run out to the Gulf. We had to overtake a ocean going cargo ship and a narrow channel. That was really exciting. So it's a lot like horses um, boating is because you're, you're always learning something. The situations are always changing and it's a little bit scary, but the fun outweighs the scary stuff, hopefully. So, um, so that was a really fun trip. Uh, my lovely little mare, Annie, just quick update on her. Nothing, nothing new to report. She's loving her life as a pregnant mare. She, you know, really has everything she wants in life. She's got the two geldings who are protecting her at all times. She's got a nice cushy stall. She's getting better feed and more of it um, with the baby growing in her belly. And she's got that pregnant mare contentness. She's just just happy. And maybe it's because she's not getting ridden and worked. I don't know. But uh, I really never seen her quite so content. Her due date is April 28th, give or take a few weeks. So um, we've got that coming down the pike. Our new gelding uh, really bothered Annie for a few days. Uh, She was quite nasty to him, uh, pinning her ears, barring her teeth, swishing her tail, kicking out at him trying to convince him she was a force to be reckoned with. And at first he believed her and stayed well clear of her. But then like every other horse that Annie's ever met, um, he soon was completely ignoring all of her nasty grams and he called her bluff and uh, she had to just accept him being there. But um, so that only lasted two, three days at the most. And now they're just uh, one big happy family out there. So with the holidays well behind us, it's time now to start gearing up for 2024. Um, I'm ready to focus my sights ahead, set some goals, make some plans. And that's in fact what this podcast is about today. Uh, But first I have some upcoming events that I want to tell you about February 29th to March 3rd, I'll be at the Horse World Expo in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. March 14 to 16, I'll be at Equifest of Kansas 
And at both of these horse fairs, I'll be doing presentations and training demonstrations on riding, horse training, and horse behavior. So you can find out more about this on my website. Also, I've got some great clinics coming up at the renowned Sea Lazy U Ranch in Granby, Colorado. In April, it's the Women's Riding and Wholeness Retreat. I co-teach that with Barbara Schulte. It's a fabulous uh, event, four-day event at a luxurious guest ranch. Also, I have a new program this year at the Sea Lazy U in September, which is a superb riding vacation in the Rocky Mountains. And then in early October, we have the ever-popular ranch riding adventure at the Sea Lazy U. Um, you can head to juliegoodnight.com slash events to get more information on all of my upcoming events and be the first to know when new ones are added when you sign up for my weekly newsletter at juliegoodnight.com slash news. You'll also get brand new training articles and podcast episodes as soon as they're released, exclusive deals and updates from me. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Julie Goodnight. Today, I have an expert guest joining us on the show to discuss fitness goals, rider well-being, confidence, and how to kickstart your personal fitness journey. And in my What the Hey Q&A segment at the end of this episode, I'll answer questions from listeners about coming back to horse sports after a 10-year break, about a rider who's polluting her mind with negative thoughts, and whether or not you should post on a gated horse. Before we dive into today's topic, let's kick things off with my new segment, Long Story Short. I'll tell you one of my many stories from the early days of my horse training career. Funny or amusing, exciting or inspirational, all have hard-worn lessons I carry with me to this day. I hope by sharing my real-life experiences, you can learn from them without having to learn the hard way. Today, I want to tell you a story about a huge turning point for me, something I learned at a clinic I was teaching decades ago, but it was so impactful, uh, really a light bulb moment, that it opened a huge door for me for furthering my understanding of horse behavior and more importantly, understanding the interaction between horses and their riders. So it was a clinic that was specially for people struggling with fear of horses. It was, in fact, called fear management. And this was a long time ago, 15 or 20 years ago. And I used to do these weekend clinics and we would start the night before Friday night, uh, people would, you know, haul their horses in and get the horses settled in. And then we'd have a little, you know, evening kind of wine and cheese get together where we would, my, my goal for that was to kind of break the ice and, and let everybody get a comfort level with each other. And also we would go through introductions and then kind of talk about what was going to happen through the weekend and, uh, you know, one of my biggest goals was to try to alleviate everybody's um, anxiety about the clinic itself and, you know, let everybody get comfortable. So that's what we were doing. Most of the people were there. There were a, one or two people, maybe three, 
that weren't there, weren't able to attend that night, were coming in the next morning. But most of the group was there and we sat around the room and I talked a little bit about what we were going to do and um, how everybody should feel safe and uh, we were going to take things slow and nobody had to do anything they didn't want to do and so on and so forth. And then we went around the room and I asked for each person to introduce themselves and explain why they were there. Remember, this is a fear management clinic. So basically, they're going to tell their story about what landed them here. And as was always the case in these type of clinics, the stories were all over the map, all over the map in terms of um, how people had lost their confidence with horses or maybe never had it to begin with. So we go around the room and, and towards the end, this one lady started telling her story and it was quite dramatic and it was all about how she went to a, a clinic. I don't remember now if it was a clinic or a horse show. I, I want to say it was a clinic and she had gone to this thing and that she was already nervous and then um, she was riding in an arena with other horses and this other horse kicked at her horse and her horse, you know, blew up and she fell off and it was a horrible, dramatic event. And it all started around this horse that kicked out at her horse. And uh, so, you know, whatever, she went through this long story and I just remember it was really um, dramatic. I don't remember all the details, but she was quite worked up about it. So we finished that session. Everybody goes home. The next morning, I head down to the arena, of course, bright and early. You know, if the clinic starts at nine, you know, I'm usually there by eight at the latest and um, just kind of helping everybody get organized. But um, so I pull in early and no sooner did I get out of my car than this woman, the same one who told the story uh, the night before about being kicked, she comes running out of the barn with her hair on fire, just completely distraught. And she's saying, she's here. She's here. The horse that kicked my horse is here. And sure enough, one of the uh, riders that had not made it the night before, but was hauling their horse in that morning was in fact the horse that had caused her incident. And of course, everybody was uh, tizzy and the woman who owned the so-called kicking horse was, which by the way, was an Appaloosa mare. And I'm going to refrain from making Appaloosa jokes because um, they're some of my best jokes, but some of my best friends ride Appaloosa, so I'm not going to... But I will tell you this, I've seen a lot of Appaloosas in my lifetime. This was a beautiful Appaloosa mare. She had a gorgeous head, a big, soft eye. She just, and she, and she was just put together beautifully and athletic and um, just a lovely, loving mare. So there, that was one of the first things when I looked at this mare, I, it, she didn't fit what I was expecting, but Anyway, so the lady that owned the mare 
was at the fear management clinic because she was so afraid of taking this horse anywhere because it kicked. So I got one person in the clinic whose uh, hair's on fire because that horse is there and the other person is there because she's afraid of the horse that kicks. So um, it was a challenging, challenging start to a clinic and I got everybody calmed down. In this particular clinic, and especially because of this situation, I decided we were only putting them in the arena two at a time. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we did a groundwork session two at a time, went through the whole group, and then we did a mounted session two at a time, went through the whole group. And everybody was kind of working it. Like like all clinics, people were at different levels. Um, they all were struggling with confidence but they all had different varying levels of experience and ability uh, in terms of riding horses. And so I was able to kind of group them up. And there was uh, one or two at least people that I was pretty confident I could put in the pen with the so-called kicking horse because they had good control of their horse. They were good riders with good control and could just, you know, stay away. And uh, so, so finally the time comes when the so-called kicking horse is in the arena with a small indoor arena with one other horse. And um, as I'm coaching the riders, what I see, the, the woman on the Appaloosa mare, the, the guilty uh, horse, was... Um, she was basically sitting on the horse in a freaked out state where she was perched forward, clenching the reins, clenching with her legs, looking behind her constantly. She was so worried about horses coming up behind her and her horse kicking that she just, you know, looked like a scared rabbit on top of the horse that was glancing behind her constantly expecting, you know, a big dragon to come out or something and attack her. So um, I was able to coach the rider effectively enough that I got her to look ahead and focus ahead and ride forward. And then the horse was great, a perfect angel. But then Anytime she would revert and start worrying about a horse coming up behind her, that mare would start pinning her ears and bracing up and bowing up like she was going to kick. And it, it became blatantly obvious to me in ways I can't even describe now that this woman was actually cueing the horse to kick because her a hundred percent of the rider's focus was on horses coming up behind her and in such a way that she was conveying an intense amount of fear about them coming up behind her. And so the horse, I'm a hundred percent certain that the horse was becoming defensive and kicking when a horse came too close, just simply because that's what the rider was asking her to do. And the mare was like, oh, I can take care of this. If you're worried about that, no, no problem. I can take care of this. Boom. And she kicks out. But um, so 
what we did was finally, I believe I got up on the horse and, and rode it. And then I got um, one or two of the other riders who were a little more confident, help me out and um, ride the horse, have them come close, have them come up behind me, have them come almost enough to touch me. And as long as I kept riding her forward and stayed focused on what was in front of us and acted like no, there was no problem in the world, the mare acted just fine. And this was such a light bulb moment for me that um, it, was, it was just something I had never considered before. But once I saw it, it was so obvious. And since then, actually, uh, when we did the TV show, there was one or two incidents real similar uh, to that where the horse was just acting in a way that the rider and or handler from the ground was actually conveying. It was just interpreting a message, not the way it was intended to be sent by the sender, uh, but interpreting the message that was clearly being sent, which is that I am extremely worried about this horse coming up behind me. And the horse was like, well, then I should be too. But I know what to do about it. Kick out. So it was a case where um, the rider conveyed a thought to the horse. The horse had more confidence in the rider and just kind of um, took actions into her own uh, feet, so to speak. And um, anyway, I've, I, uh, I've seen this incident repeatedly uh, happen again in, in various situations throughout my career since then. But this was the first time um, I actually saw something like that um, in real life and in person. So, um, the horse was simply taking its cues from the rider. Uh, it was definitely a chicken and egg scenario. Um, and that kind of stuff happens a lot with horses. So the moral of the story is that horses are very tuned into your thoughts and emotions. Thinking about things that frighten you or worry you is like telegraphing that fear to the horse. Think about the toddler that falls down and then looks up at his mother to see whether or not he should cry or looks up at his mother to see whether or not he's hurt. Um, that's kind of what's happening with your horse. So my blog this month is about how horses learn to read humans. And we have a question in today's episode, What the Hay segment, about a rider who is frankly her own worst enemy in conveying the wrong message to her horse. And emotional control and mental discipline are a huge part of having success with horses, as are confidence and persistence. And that brings me to today's topic. It's a new year, and for many of our listeners, that means setting new goals for the upcoming riding season. This is also the downtime for a lot of us, and that can present a roadblock to getting started on your game plan. You know, both fitness and skill building for both you and your horse takes a lot of time, and waiting for months for warmer weather can be very discouraging. So wouldn't it be great to get started now? On today's episode, we're going to do just that. I'm excited to have a very special guest on the show today, fitness and wellness coach Eva Simmons. I'll be talking with Aoife about his advice for what we can do to get started right now during the off season to prepare to meet your riding goals for this year. 
Aoife became a certified fitness and wellness coach in 2012, and not long after that, he shifted his focus to coaching competitive equestrians. In 2020, he established the Equestrian Fitness Academy, or EFA, and it's an online holistic wellness platform tailored specifically for riders. He also creates informative blogs for riders of all disciplines, and he says his goals are to help you improve stability, build better posture, and enhance your alignment in the saddle for years to come. Aoife, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. I am beyond excited and honored to speak with you. Well, it's great to have you, and uh, just just to uh, sort of fill in the dots for our listeners, Eva and I first met uh, just a couple of months ago. We were both presenters at Equine Affair in Massachusetts, and as most of you probably already know about me, I've, I'm a big fan of fitness and exercise, and particularly how that relates to riding skills and improving each of us as a rider and improving our health and well-being. And when I saw Aoife's presentations on the program, it really uh, rang a bell with me. So I was sure to make some time to um, sit in on one of his presentations. And it was awesome. It was uh, more than met, met my expectations. Aoife has uh, a real ability to connect to the audience. He's very uh, motivational. He makes things fun, understandable, and most of all, he breaks things into small chunks that really make you feel inspired to accomplish. And I was um, thrilled to uh, see all of that in one package. So I made a point of jumping up there at the end of the presentation, cutting in front of everybody and introducing myself. And right then and there, I invited him to be on the podcast. So... I uh, really appreciate you being here today, Eva. Now, before we get too much into the meat of the matter, can you tell my listeners, uh, those who might not be familiar with your work, about what you do and how you got started in the uh, equestrian side of fitness? Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Um, to answer that question, I've always had a love and passion for horses. I just didn't come from an area or a family or a demographic that allowed me to actually ride them like I always envisioned. So fast forward to my first gym job, and I was still in school at this time. I had a coworker who had a farm, and she ran a trail riding program. And she invited me, and I took the opportunity and said, absolutely, this is beat for getting into the equestrian industry, just the beginning side of my fitness journey. And I fell in love with it immediately at that time. Now, not any point did me going and doing the trail rides and enjoying and loving and falling in love with that part of the journey, did it click for me that I should take this aspect of fitness and put it into the horse world. I had no idea, no clue, nothing about how that came about or even if that was a thing. And to be quite honest, it wasn't a thing then. Um, so fast, right. So fast forward. Maybe it's barely a thing now. <laughs> it's barely a thing now. Yes. Thanks to 2020, a lot of things have changed in that regard. But let's say 2013. Yeah, 2013 is roughly around the time frame when I got into 
working with my first equestrian, which was a, it's kind of tough to say exactly who was the first one at that time because it's so long ago. But nonetheless, as soon as I worked with this first client, I knew that I had coffee above. Right. It was like, okay, here's an opportunity for me to take something I'm passionate about with someone who's serious about improving themselves and what they do and what they need for their performance. And how can I marry the two? And so one turned into three, three turned into five, five, it turned into, into more at that point, obviously over a time frame. And it didn't take long for me to say, this is, I could see myself doing this for the long term, for sure. And so that really answers, I think answers that question of like how I got into that and how I made that transition mm-hmm. um, to get into the, the portion where EFA was born or thought of is I was out of the industry officially, if you could call it that. I, I wasn't working with riders actively while I lived in Hawaii for two years from 2018 to 2020. And when I got back to New Jersey for family reasons and just, you know, living on a rock during uh, during a pandemic, it doesn't sound pretty fun. So uh, coming back and, and joining my family here, I was able to jump back into training riders almost immediately because that was one of the few things that you could be outside and have social distance and also continue to, to provide services for people. So during that time, I learned that things hadn't changed much, if at all, in that two-year time frame. And I said, this is that one thing that I was looking for. I said, I, I made this this pledge on my way back on, on the flight, literally on the flight back to New Jersey that I'm going to make the most out of whatever this is that I'm going into. And um, when I, I got back, I started working with clients and I found out that the industry and fitness and wellness and there was a missing gaping hole in it. I said, now is the time for me to to figure out a way to expand this outside of New Jersey into the mass globally, actually. And obviously I'm not the only one, but I I, I have a different approach than certain other people do. And I, my, my goal is to continue to make that change one day, one wider at a time. Nice. How, how would you say your approach is different? Well, I don't feel like most people are talking about the wellness aspect of it. I, I find that yes. you have conversations with people and they say, oh, yeah, fitness for equestrian. It's like, uh, yes, but Yeah, do really. some more push-ups. <laughs> right. Or, yeah, just do some lunges. That'll make my legs stronger. Or I just need to strengthen my core. Everyone always says, I need to strengthen my core. But here's one thing, and now that you mentioned that, when I started working with my first riders years ago, 2012, 2013 time frame, they had the strongest cores of anyone I worked with. So it's kind of <laughs> interesting for everyone in the industry to say, I have a weak core, but no, I absolutely know that it isn't that it's a weak core. It's just that we don't, we don't understand the body awareness that it takes to connect with our core. And so teaching and helping people understand that is where I think the biggest benefit really comes in. Mm-hmm. So a uh, much more holistic approach definitely totally. and and that was the one of the things that i uh, was immediately taken by at your presentation you're talking um not just about you know calisthenics and aerobics but mm-hmm. um you know well-being confidence and that connectivity um you know 
just one little thing, and I, I haven't even told you this, um, Eva, but I always, you know, I mean, I've been a professional rider for many decades now, and um, I was a, a pretty intensive youth rider, uh, competitor all throughout my childhood. So it's definitely been a lifetime thing for me, but particularly as you age, you you get imbalances, uh, you know, you have an injury or you just, you know, become dominant on one side. And I, in spite of my, all my efforts towards fitness, I have a, a one really strong leg and one really weak leg left over from a skiing accident, you know, 30 years ago. And Ooh. I've always fantasized about having a personal trainer. And if I was going to have a personal trainer, it would, of course, have to be somebody that could understand the complexity of riding horses. And um, it's, I, I don't know, um, in some ways it's similar to everything else. I say that all the time, balance is balance, you know, and but um, the, that connectivity, you're talking about the, the rider, biomechanics, all that stuff, the awareness. And as you and I have talked, um, I've, I'm a big fan of Pilates for that reason. I can, you know, I was just doing uh, my Pilates workout this morning with my buddy that we, I Zoom with, Lucy, and um, we do it together over Zoom almost every morning. And you can um, just so, I can so relate it to riding. And it's not just strength building, it's the coordination and the connection and the feeling and understanding where your body is and particularly, you know, in the core area. So, uh, Eva, you, um, you know, you talk about the, the four main pillars of your program being stability, suppleness, strength, and stamina. Nice little, uh, what do we call that? Alliteration. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, could you talk, a little bit of detail about, you know, like what that is and why is it important to riders? Absolutely. Um, I always get excited telling this story and also explaining the pillars because they are literally the guiding light that's necessary to get where we want to go as riders, no matter the level. If there's someone like you who's been doing it for decades, as you mentioned, or someone like me who's at the beginner phase of certain things, we all need every single one of these pillars. Uh, what I've also noticed through that time frame that I've been training and working with riders is there's always an aspect of one or two of these that we can pinpoint and find that's necessary for their improvement in performance and well-being overall, no matter what it is. The coolest thing about it is that the four pillars are essential for any of our journeys as humans first and riders second. And they have to be in that order. You cannot go out of the order. So the stability part has to come before the suppleness. And I always give this example. Imagine if you were hypermobile but did not have any control over your joints. It would not work out right. You would find yourself closer towards an injury. So we have to stabilize the joint first before we're then able to get it the most range of motion. Then after we're able to get that, then we can strengthen it 
then we can add stamina on top of that, which is the ability to do something over and over again without or without um, sustaining an injury. So each and every one of these gets us closer to the bulletproofing of our body, I can say that. And no matter what level of writing, we always go through all four, no matter what. Now the intensity and the duration of each of these pillars will change based on where people are in their journey. So there's obviously a sliding scale, but the most important part is we always go through all four. So that's kind of what makes this the, as I guess you could call it, the sign my signature system or what makes EFA one part portion, excuse me, or what makes EFA different than other um, methodologies. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example of like, just like, so what you mean by stability, how, how a rider might relate to how that's going to help on what that, what, what that, what does that do? Absolutely. So we always talk about stability and balance. They go hand in hand. So the balance portion of what's necessary for us in the saddle, and most people would say, I have a tight hip here. I need to stretch it more. The answer would be, no, we don't need to stretch it more. We need to make sure that it's stable first. And if it's stable, then you're going to be able to have better balance because you've already practiced and you already have that protected. Then after we've gotten that stabilized, then we can talk about how much more flexibility it may need. But oftentimes what people get mixed up is we always want to jump to the second two pillars and we forget about the first and the mm. last. Mm -hmm. And so um, sometimes it's like we need to, and I don't like to use the word dial it back because that taps into someone's ego, which is like, I'm less than. And it really isn't a less than aspect rather than it's a, let's figure out exactly where you are currently and where you want to go so that we know how to get you to the next step. And we're going to go through all four no matter what. So either mm -hmm. way, we're going to do that. But mm -hmm. how we go about that is what's important and specific to you rather than um, a one-size-fits-all approach. Mm -hmm. So that's the over overriding principle that we look at every fitness plan or every exercise that you're doing or every goal that you're setting to first look at stability, then suppleness and strength, and then stamina. Absolutely. So in, in our assessment, I figure out where someone has their, their best strengths and or imbalances. I don't like to use the word weaknesses uh, because that's typically temporary and also subjective. So um, imbalances and strengths, and then that would have the rider lie in between either of these approaches, or should I say these pillars, and then they can continue from there. And then we say, okay, here's along the lines of the program that would work best for you right now. That's awesome. Now, we, we, we've touched a little bit, um, at least we mentioned biomechanics, rider wellness. Um, one of the things that really impressed me about your presentation um, was your focus on mindset and keeping a positive attitude and training that works for you and little steps you could take and all that. Um, could you talk a little bit about biomechanics and rider wellness? Absolutely. I, 
I personally believe that those two go hand in hand. And I feel as if our industry today is trying to separate. And when I first went public with my business and my, my idea and the model that I was going to approach, I did not talk about the wellness aspect enough. And I noticed through the first year and a half or so that I felt one, that something was missing. And two, that I was neglecting an aspect of myself that was automatically supposed to be brought to the table. So when we hear the word biomechanics, we often, in the horse industry, we often think about how we can dissect components of our body to understand how to use them better. Would you agree? Yes. And, and of course, the horse, too. Correct. So when it comes to biomechanics, I personally feel like that term has been overused in a way. I like to use that interchangeably with kinesiology. So mm. that is the study of human movement. And biomechanics is like the breakdown of how you do that. Now, that goes right into rider wellness because if you're automatically having an issue with a, um, a tight, let's just say a tight back and a, for lack of a better example, a tight hip flexor, and we're just thinking about the biomechanics and why this person's hip isn't moving the way it needs to, then we've taken out the wellness aspect of like, are you in pain somewhere? Because if you're in pain somewhere, then my idea of the biomechanics isn't going to help you through this exact issue. And so it might also be that their neck is out of alignment. It could be something as simple as they're having heel pain or their ankles tight in one side. Compensating in some way. Well, in, in a lot of different ways. And if we're not looking at the entire picture, we're at least open to looking at the entire picture, then how can we then go hone in on one or two specific aspects of that? So for me, I like to combine the two. But I, I use the term biomechanics because people understand that. And I don't want to be the weird guy that is always talking about something completely <laughs> different than everybody else. Yes. Um, even yeah, though sometimes by definition, you do. Yeah. You have to use the language that, that people understand. You do. Um, and, but then try to um, massage it as you've done. Yes, yes. Kinesiology. I like that better anyway. Right. Well, that was... We don't really take biomechanics classes in school. We take kinesiology classes in school. So that was one of my favorite classes. And I really loved the idea of like how we could break down something. I can use that term um, or, or interpret something based on how it moves or why it does that or how to optimize that. So even going for a quick example, going into how someone walks can tell me a lot about how and what they might do in the saddle before they even get there. So I'll just leave you with that example as an idea of like the rider wellness aspect of looking mm -hmm. at the entire picture and why that's so important. Sure. And how would you, and what about the confidence uh, mm -hmm. portion of that? It's Is that something you that. deal with frequently with riders? Big time. The confidence aspect is something that we in, in this sport, in this culture, probably deal with more than any other sport is that our industry is so marginalized in itself, right? Like we don't have 
a major spectator base. We don't have any of those other things for us to take and choose and pick from outside sources. Everything that we happens happens inside. So let's go with this example here. What if your horse just isn't feeling it today? That's a confidence adjuster right there. You're just like, is it mm -hmm. me? Is it him? There's so many aspects for you to second guess or to be unsure about something, even before obviously getting slammed to the ground or whatever mm -hmm. the other scenario is set a lot. Um, it, it could be that something happened. It could be a horse injury. That happens all the time. As soon as I have three or so clients right now that are going through the rehab process with their horse, and that's just like, man, I really want to ride, but I know that this is the right thing to do, but I'm not too sure, and I'm taking this time, and I'm working on myself during the time where I can't work with my, my horse the way I want to, and it's a constant roller coaster just on mm -hmm. that aspect alone, and I know a lot of your, your listeners will understand and agree with being in a situation like that uh, once, twice, or even more throughout their, their, their riding journey. Yeah, even just day to day, um, am I doing the right thing for my horse? Absolutely. Is that mistake mine or is it my imagination? And yeah, just this morning, my husband, I away from home and called to see what he's got a new horse who's undergoing some um, therapies, expensive ones. And uh, he wasn't exactly sure how he should be handling it. And just the, just to have someone help think it through and give him a little guidance was all he needed to get just a little reassurance there. Mm -hmm. So, so that's definitely a big part of that rider wellness, um, aspect. Now, so tell me a little bit about what your program's like then. I, so are you the, uh, I've been to your website, the, uh, equestrian fitness Academy website, and I've, I will, we'll put the links uh, down below in the show notes for everybody. Um, I have a little bit of an idea of the services you offer, but can you tell, like, if I signed up today mm -hmm. online, w what would happen? What would I get for that? Great. So I just recently launched something called the Question Fitness Academy, EFA Ultimate. I'll go into that second. The first in the main uh, service that I offer is my coaching, which is like a one-on-one -on -one coaching, which riders would come to me. They would set up a time to speak. We would call, figure out what they're interested in. Hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. I need to figure out ways to improve on this, or I've had an injury, or I'm in between, or I'm so many different scenarios that I've seen and worked with uh, throughout the years. From that time frame, they say, okay, great, I'm ready to sign on. And then we go into an assessment, which I had talked about earlier. During that assessment where we look at what they do through different movements from head to toe. So all the major joints are covered in this area here. So that I know exactly what they are looking for and also ways that they can improve. So it could be something as simple as neck tightness that then is leading to an issue that might happen in the hip or even the ankle. And I'm fasting forward on that assessment process. From there, I go ahead and put them put together a program for them. 
based on something within those four pillars that we talked about. And then they go into their program online in a digital state. So I have my own app. And in that app, that's where everything is delivered to them. So they'll be able to take this app on the road with them on vacation, at home, at the bar, or anywhere else. I know people who have done this at work. So each and every one of the workouts that I call them training programs um, are 30 minutes or less. And I always say, I'd like to require them to do three days a week, bare minimum. And most people say that's perfect for me. That's perfect. So yeah. the 30 minutes is time sensitive and the three days is realistic and not over. Over committing. Thank you very much. Over committing to what I could see myself doing. So within yes. that time frame, we meet on a monthly basis live, just like we're doing right now. When we talk about, one, their goals, two, how we can improve their program or making the adjustments necessary, and three, how I can assist them through that process on that day-to-day basis. So it obviously nice. has, you know, the ability to chat with me throughout the day and, and whatever mm-hmm. else it is, and I'm, I'm always there for them making adjustments and such. But that's the main service and then i now have a membership style service called yeti ultimate which launched wow for about four or five weeks ago we're in a month two now of that and this is a generalized program that has categorized the workout templates which help riders so three days a week again 30 minutes and they are joining this growing community of riders of many different disciplines from trail riders to fox hunters to other jumpers i don't have any western yet in ultimate coming soon um and quite a few other disciplines i'm not remembering at this exact moment but the goal for the different categories is to keep things fresh for them so, for example, I have a workout format that I've created called Five Star Rider, similar to my adventures. And so it has exercises in there that are similar to what's going to help them increase their endurance uh, for a cross-country day. I have a dressage-style training in there called 20-meter circle. I have another one. So there's always something fresh and different that, they can say, oh, okay, I can see how this applies to me and why this would be important. And that's kind of fun. I like the way you did that. So each and every month, there's a new or different adjustment on that there. So you'll never get the same exact thing over and over again. However, the exercises, you will repeat those and we do track those so that over the three to six to whatever time frame, you're going to be able to see, I did three pounds on this exercise at the beginning. A month or so later or a couple weeks later i was able to do five and then eight so on and so forth so if i always say that if you don't have the ability to track something then you're just guessing and my job and the reason why i wanted to take my experience to this global level is because i i found that we don't track and mark and test the goal process as well as the performance aspect of what we could. 
they could be so simple if you have the right people in your corner to help you do that. Awesome. Well, that sounds great. Now, getting back to um, what our listeners can do, maybe giving them some nuts and bolts ideas, can you share some easy nutritional tips that riders should know about to fuel their riding? And just funny story there first, because, and I, I already told you this, Aoife, but mm-hmm. when I attended your presentation, one one little small chunk of things that spoke to me that you mentioned was, uh, you know, you said something about how many of you get up in the morning and, you know, drink two cups of coffee before you do anything else. And I was like, yep, that's me. And you were like, what if you just had, you know, one small cup of water before that? And then you talked about the importance of hydration, which I'm a believer. Uh, Hydration is so, so important. But um, so anyway, so I was telling Lucy about it and and we were saying, yeah, let's let's do that. We can do that. Let's do that. So we started calling it Eva shots. We had we had. Did you have your Eva shot this morning? So we have an EFA shot every single morning, in, <laughs> which is just a shot of water, but um, <laughs> but it's good. So what? Um, how about some easy nutritional tips um, for riders uh, to fuel their riding? Well, I love that you just gave that story first because that goes back into the wellness aspect. Why? It's important to be, and we're going to get to the nutritional aspect of the food in just a second. Why it's important for us to be hydrated in the saddle is because the hydration aspect leads to the cognition that's necessary to ask yourself and your horse for the right things at the right time. When we are dry or dehydrated, we are typically not in our right mindset to get the right job done. So that means a delay or miscommunication, so on and so forth. Now, how does that connect to the food that we have? Food also acts as a proper hydration and gives us the proper nutrients necessary for us to get exactly what we need, humans first, riders second, so that we can then help them understand that Lucy, for example, or Judy, for example, is asking this at the right time. She's here with me because as we already know, our horses are way more sensitive than we even give them credit for. And they understand and know exactly when your mind is wandering all over the place and you're not completely there. And they also know when you're locked in and are are sure about what you're asking and also what you need from the team at this exact time. So, for example, would you say... You want me to give an example for like breakfast or just any type of snack or what time frame? Just some general advice is good. Yeah, okay. or for so specific tips. Advice... <laughs> She's like the whole kit and caboodle, why not? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I would say the most important thing is never get into the saddle without at least having something. I know that might sound crazy to a lot of people here. But that short something could be as small as a granola bar. It could be as small as a handful of nuts. It could be as small as, and I know people might not agree with this completely, but it could be a little bag of chips. Try not to do that with a, uh, you know. That too works much for me. 
too much seasoning. But honestly, as I've, I've had this conversation with a couple of different nutritionists, it's like to give your body something is better than to give it nothing. And then ask yourself and your horse to be on the same page. That's great, Aoife. Now, what about some specific action items or exercises that listeners can do right now? Just some, you know, in the, in the spirit of small ways to get started. Anything you can suggest? Absolutely. I always say start with bite-sized juice of something. And so most will say, well, where should I start with that? I'd say... Everyone has a countertop at some point in their house or somewhere that they know of. Start with countertop push-ups. An easy way to start to build more of that core strength as well as the upper body strength. Another one would be the practice of squats daily. Preferably body weight squats. Learn and see exactly where your body is. Feel where it is in space sitting down and standing back up. How many times can you do that once a day? Another one would be to practice some mobility. So stretching through the hips and the lower legs. You could start in the seated position on the floor with your legs out straight and wide and reaching forward as a good starter. Not only will that help with the hamstrings, you'll also feel that in the lower back as well as the inner thigh. That's just three examples off the top of my head there. Now, are these the type of exercises that one might find on uh, the academy? Nope. (laughs) Nope. Those are three exercises or just uh, three actions that I just gave you off the top of my head. You asked me for another three, I'm going to give you another three. Okay. Well, I want to drill down on those. I like those. So, because I, you know, you spend a lot of time in the kitchen just hanging out. So by countertop push-ups, so I would just kind of stand a little ways away from the counter. I would place both my hands, uh, kind of spread them apart as my shoulders, and then just lean forward on my tippy toes and do a push-up and back. That's correct. So exactly. So you'll start off in plank position, like you mentioned, with your feet away from the countertop. Your hands are in that push-up position just roughly just outside of your shoulder width, and then you lower your body all the way down to the edge of that countertop, and then you push away and breathe out at the same time. And let's see, can you do five at a time? Can you do 10 at a time? Can you do more? Um, What might seem easy at first can get more challenging uh, more often you do for that one example. Mm -hmm. That kind of reminds me, I mean, when you can find exercises that you can just whether it's sitting at your desk or, you know, washing the dishes or stuff you're doing anyway, you're on the phone. Yeah. Um, but one time a, a physical therapist told me, because, uh, again, I have this strong leg and a weak leg because I've, you know, got three decades of favoring my strong leg. And she said one simple thing you could do is every time you sit down and stand up from the toilet, do it on the weak leg only. So... Now, of course, I'm not very disciplined about this, but that's really hard. And so if I lift my strong leg up and then basically you're doing kind of a squat, one legged (laughs) down and up. And for women who, you know, sit down more often, that's quite a few every day if you really uh, 
made a commitment to it. I love exercises like that. It always has to be a way to incorporate it into what we're already doing. And so what I've heard many of time, and that was a great example of what she told you to do, which is add it into something you're already doing, right? So what I've heard riders say is, I don't have time to exercise. I'm riding five or six or seven horses a day. Or I got this and I got that. And I'm like, okay, bring me to the barn just for a day. I'll watch and see what you do, and then we'll see how we can incorporate it. And they almost always go, how did you find that way to add that into, like, I would have never thought about that. And I say, that's because you have that job, and I have this job. It's my job to optimize the way the things that you do, because I do see that you're busy, but it's what small things could we do in this scenario that could help us get not necessarily stronger, but that's a byproduct of the habits that we do, right? And so your leg was supposed to, is supposed to get stronger because you were doing that single leg potty squat, if we can call it that. Um, but in this case, <laughs> it's like that was the response to, that's the response to you doing something that you are automatically going to do anyway multiple times a day, you know? Yes. Yeah, take advantage of it. And, um, you know, I think that's a, a great lead into the sort of final thing I want to talk about, which is that I know your program is not just for elite equestrians and professional yeah. riders and uh, Olympic level athletes. Um, and I, I feel like there are a lot of people who like me, they're in their 60s and and older, maybe. Uh, maybe they've had a, gotten out of shape over the years or had some, you know, sort of injury that over time is, has um, caused problems with their riding or, or whatever. But it's easy starting an exercise program or starting any kind of, uh, any kind of program really where you're setting goals and making a, a daily commitment or making changes to your lifestyle. It seems so hard to get started. And there's, you know, it's so easy to say, oh, I'm going to do that tomorrow. And, but we know with horses in particular, this is a sport that takes a lot of time and devotion to get anywhere. Um, and we're training two athletes, not one, um, the horse and the rider. So what kind of a help can you offer to help motivate the person who's maybe just getting started? Maybe they've never done a fitness routine or it's been a long time. They've been a little complacent. How, how can we kickstart this journey? It's a great question. And that's actually my favorite demographic because that's the demographic that shows the most benefit and improvement because they're starting from a unaware or uncertain level of where they are. Most people aren't even aware that they are doing better than they think they are. Most people aren't even aware of that. So in a case like this, where it is the general um, rider, someone who is you know not competing at multiple shows and just trying to get back into it or just getting the job started or just getting their, their fitness or wellness journey started. My number one thing is we would figure out, well, where do you see yourself? And then they go X, Y, Z, they give me their example. 
Yeah, I just really want to start feeling better in my body. Okay. Well, if we can do two days a week for 30 minutes for the first month, or we call them jumps, jump one, jump two, and jump three. If we can do two days this month and we get you started and you feel like, all right, I'm feeling really good about how I'm feeling. I'm seeing some differences. I'm, I'm understanding my body a bit more. Can we move it to three in the next month? Jump two. And they would say, I think I could do that. Let's work through the first four weeks first. Let's see how you're feeling. When we get back on our coaching call, we'll go over that this time. Then we can move into the next thing and the next thing. But that's where that adjustment of the journey and the progression takes place where it's not me dictating this is what you need to do in order to be successful. It could be one day a week, to be quite honest, to start. If that's what that person can handle, that's what their schedule, their lifestyle, their abilities can handle, then do that. And so jump one might be one day a week. Jump two could be two. Jump three could be three. And then you repeat that process over and you assess and you say, okay, where are you now? Where would you like to go again? And then how can you do that? I have riders in their 60s and 70s in my book. And their goal is real simple. I love it. I just want to make sure that I am best for my folks. I want to minimize injury as much as possible. And I just want to keep going. I'm like, that's it. They're like, that's the goal. And so it really makes it fun and easy that's to huge. keep up with it. It's huge because everybody younger than that's like, I want to do this. I want to do that. And it's like, that's, <laughs> that's challenging, you know, but someone who's, who's driven and clear and understands that. And that may not be everyone, but for those clientele that I have, it really just make it easy because I don't have to guess. Yeah. Well, you know, there's so many of us in the sport that are older because just as you mentioned earlier, it wasn't a part of your childhood. You had to, uh, you know, things had to happen in your life before it was accessible to you. And for a lot of people, that's not until they're at retirement age, so 50s, 60s mm. and up. And it's why my presentation about riding to your 90 or riding for life is is always so popular because there's a lot of us out there. <laughs> And to have that kind of support at a plan and um, the guidance, it's not just the support, but the guidance too. I think people want to make sure uh, they're doing the right thing. And also we have limitations, um, particularly those of us, you know, my age and older, and you're really good about adjusting to an individual's uh, limitations and making, you know, whether... It's, you know, whatever, a push up or chin up or whatever. If I'm if I have a bad shoulder, how can I do that? Mm -hmm. Well, let me show you a way to do that. So that's what's so fun about your program. Well, Eva, it's been great. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really looking forward to getting started on my goals this year. I'm gonna use some of the tips and advice you've shared today. And uh, by the way, for our listeners, we're going to put links to all the resources we talked about today in this episode's show notes. I'm also really excited to share with everyone that Aoife and I are collaborating on some exciting new ideas to bring more fitness and well-being tips to you. So stay tuned for more information on that. Check back for updates on my blog, Instagram, and Facebook. Aoife, tell us where people can find you. Right. 
Well, you can find me at the nearest expo and convention that takes place throughout the year for one. Um, but I'm always online, uh, mainly on Instagram at ifafit. So that's I-F-A period F-I-T. I'm also on Facebook. My first and last name, Ifa Simmons, but I also have Ifa Fit Equestrian, which is my Facebook page. You can also find me at my website, which is ifafit.com. I-F-A-F-I-T dot com. Um, I am very excited to have the opportunity to collaborate with you, and I look forward to you all the different things that we brainstorm coming to life and, and showcasing that with your audience. And I, I do believe that they'll take to it well based on the foundation that you already laid through 2023 and all the way past 2020 when you were doing daily doses. Yeah. Daily doses. Yep. That's it. Daily doses. So, yeah. So anyway, that's where people can find me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's been great. Uh, we look forward to doing more stuff together. And um, you're a man after my own heart with this fitness thing and uh, being so motivational to people. So thanks for that. And now it's time for our favorite segment. What the hey? Q&A. Each month, we pick a few unique questions from our listeners and answer them on the air. If you'd like to submit a question for What the Hay, message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. The first question today comes from Audrey. What is the best way to get back into riding as a former high-level hunter-jumper competitor after a 10-year break. I don't need to compete again, but I do want to start horses under saddle eventually. Well, that's a great question, Audrey, and I appreciate the succinctness of your question. Now, and I can give you a, a very quick answer. I don't think it's going to take much at all. I, I really don't think after riding to that high level, a 10-year break is much to worry about. Certainly, there's some muscle conditioning, balancing, kind of getting back in the groove of it. But I think, you know, really it's an overused cliche, but it's a lot like riding a bicycle and um, you, it might feel a little rusty at first, but it'll come back really fast. Now I would, you know, like everything, you're not going to just go right out there and start jumping big jumps, you know, go through your basics, but you're very familiar that, with that. If you were a uh, high-level competitor in the hunter-jumper world, you did a lot of riding without stirrups, you did a lot of flat work, um, you did a lot of cavaletti. So I would, you know, just do that route. Act like you're getting a horse in shape, legging them up to uh, start over fences again. Now, I will tell you, um, you know, I... I was, as a youth rider, I was a high-level hunter-jumper competitor myself, uh, primarily an equitation rider. And let's see, when I stopped showing, it was like, you know, I don't know, 16 maybe. And then um, I went to ride at the racetrack, and then I started riding Western, doing a lot of mountain riding, all that kind of stuff, but I didn't jump. I didn't, I kept riding um, and, you know, I was actually a professional rider, but I didn't jump a horse for, I want to say 25 or 30 years. 
And then I had a client who he wanted to try jumping. He wanted a super safe push button horse. And I traveled around looking at these top dollar uh, made horses for him. And that was a blast, but it was the first time I had jumped in like 25 years. And first of all, I will tell you the jumps looked gigantic. Like a two foot jump looked like a five foot wall to me. And I was riding a a push button horse and I just kind of went for it. And, you know, I I mean, in mid stride over the first jump, it just all came back to me, the timing, the, the feel, the striding and all that. So I think you'll find the same thing. Just go back to basics, build up the strength in your riding muscles, find your balance, find your rhythm with the horse. And I I think you'll be right back where you were uh, really honestly within a couple of weeks. So good luck and have a lot of fun. Our next question is from Susie. A big challenge of mine while riding isn't bringing what's gone wrong in the past along for the ride, but what could happen or might happen during a ride and how to mitigate it. I'm always on the lookout for potential hazards, real and perceived, and trying to think of how to mitigate them. For example, boneheads who let their kids or dogs run amok, the other rider who has a different sense of personal space than I do, my horse sees another horse losing its mind and joins in, my current favorite what if is a motorcycle careens off the road and into our arena. Well, that's a little random. My best rides are when I abdicate this challenge to someone else, like a ground person, an instructor, or a clinician. Do you have any ideas for dealing with this while riding solo? Why, yes, I do, Miss Susie. (laughs) And uh, I laugh because I know Susie. She's a friend of mine. And um, I also happen to know, if you couldn't tell by just the phrasing of this question, she is a very busy-minded person. And her wheels are always turning 90 miles an hour. And um, I think this is just simply an example of that. And Susie, the reason why I chose the story I did for Long Story Short was exactly um, to kind of illustrate what can go very wrong when you allow your focus to come away from your horse and the task at hand. Let's think of it from the other side of the equation. Let's think about that rider who is so in sync with their horse, so in tune with their horse that the mind meld has occurred and that rider just thinks a thought and the horse takes the action. The rider turns and looks at the next jump and the horse just turns and goes there. Whether you're working a cow or jumping a jump or executing a pattern of some sort, when you really get in synchronization with a horse, your um, very thought is transmitted to the horse um, through the connection between the horse and rider. So how does that happen? Well, uh, you know, it's... um, it's really, it's somewhat amazing and it's being studied uh, by scientists to try to really thoroughly understand it. But one thing that's really clear is that when you're riding a horse, you have a lot of connectivity to the horse. A lot of your body is in contact with the horse 
and he he can feel everything that you do. And you cannot have a thought without there being a minute reaction in your body, and particularly when it comes to thinking about doing. So, you know, if you, uh, if, if you go to a, a horse show uh, where there's jumping horses and in the audience is a bunch of people that ride jumping horses, if you watch and when they're watching the horses, other horses go in the arena, everybody takes a little uh, kind of little leap forward when the horse goes over every jump because as you have that thought, your your body has a reaction and these minute reactions to thoughts are transmitted through your body with neurological tissue called fascia that covers all your muscles and tendons and stuff. So it, it provides neurological connectivity throughout your entire body. And horses are so, so very sensitive uh, in all matters to touch, feel, emotions, um, environment, situations, movement. They're so, so sensitive that um, when they have that connectivity with a rider, they actually feel the thoughts of the rider through all that connective tissue. So that's how we get to this place in riding where it's like the penultimate experience of, of you and the horse becoming one. Now, now let's shift our thought to what you're talking about. And so you're riding this poor little horse little pony, as a matter of fact. And every time he thinks he's getting his head in the game of figuring out where you're going, what you're going to do, what do you want him to do next? He's, you're start, you're starting to telegraph, um, distracting and maybe anxious, um, messaging to him. And if your thoughts or are distracted and going from one thing to another thing to another thing, none of which has actually to do with what your horse is doing right here, right now, imagine how disconcerting to the horse that is. And so one of two things is going to happen. The horse becomes reactive to your emotional state or, or, or I should say your emotional state or your lack of focus. Or the horse completely tunes you out and just like she's her mind's not here anyway. So I think I'll do whatever I want. Mm, that looks like some nice grass over there. I think I'll go over there. Or, you know, the horse becomes fearful because you're conveying a message of fear. So I don't really see that anything good can come of it. I think that you're overthinking and that your attention and focus is going completely away from the task at hand. And I think you owe it to your horse to be there for him. That's what he wants and that's what he expects. Like, I need you to take care of me. And you can only do that by focusing on what we are doing and what the current situation is around us. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, the what if is what I call mind pollution. And uh, this is a scenario that we do to ourselves you can also train yourself and train your brain to think more positive and productive thoughts like what you're doing, working on, like a pattern that you're riding. Um, listen, listen to music. Hey, you know, stick some earbuds in, listen to music. That's a lot better than letting these random crazy thoughts go through your head. So I know you can do this. Um, it just, it, 
it require it does require a commitment to retraining your mind. You need to plan what you're going to think about ahead of time instead of this unproductive stuff. And I, you can either go the distraction route, which is thinking about a movie or thinking about or singing a song or telling a story or reciting a poem, or you could plan out a strategy of what to think about in terms of, you know, a mantra that you're going to say to yourself, a pattern you're going to ride, um, an actual workout. Hey, my um, audio workouts are great for this. It's a, it's a you know, 30 minute recorded, um, riding workout that you listen to while you ride. And, um, I, even I find that when I listen to it, it's very meditative because you're just focusing on the words in your ears, which are like, okay, look straight ahead, make sure you're breathing, make sure you're sitting up, blah, 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 blah. So it's coaching your riding. So that, that's a good idea for you too. I know you can do this. Um, and thank you for the question. That's one I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from. So our last question is from Kim. Hi, Julie. First, thank you for blessing us with your time to help us become better horse women. I have two questions. Question one, should I post the trot on my gated horse? Question two, I'm new to gated horses. I have a three and a half year old Rocky Mountain horse, and I'm not sure how to get her to gate. My trainer does not have experience on these types of horses, and she asked me if that was important to me because the horse trots so nicely. I said no. I did not purchase her for gating. I just wanted a smooth ride because I'm older. But my friend said if I don't gate her, that her value will go down. I told my trainer this, and she said if I'm planning on keeping this horse for a long time to ride her the way I want to and to enjoy her. What are your thoughts? Thank you again for all you do. Well, I have to say I agree with your trainer um, for a number of reasons. Uh, one is if your horse isn't gating now, she probably never has. And, you know, if, if it's not why you bought her, what difference does it make? Whatever you paid for her is her value. And um, she should go up in value if she continues to improve her training and reliability and experience over the years. If she's not already gating, then you're not devaluing the horse because she never had it to begin with. So let's let's break this down a little bit. First of all, three and a half year old, that's really young. That's a very, very young horse. And she can't possibly um, have a lot of training. So hopefully she's gentle and she fits your bill in other ways. Also, um, yes, the Rocky Mountain horse is a gated breed. There are many gated breeds of horses, but just because a horse is bred to gate does not mean they actually do it. Some horses are very naturally gated, but most gated horses require training to get them, quote unquote, set in their gates. In other words, many, if not most, gated horses require assistance from the rider to perform the gates. In other words, the rider has to collect the horse up, drive the horse from behind, get them to put some weight on the haunches. That's what collection is. Um, so it's not a guaranteed thing. 
And I think what your friend was referring to about the value going down is uh, generally to get a horse set in their gates, you take them to a professional gated horse trainer who trains them in such a way that that unnatural movement that the horse is bred to do uh, comes out in them. So some horses are, are more natural at it than others. Some horses with all the training in the world are never really going to properly gate. So there's no guarantees that a gated horse gates. Um, so second, uh, so the first question, should I post the trot on my gated horse? Well, if the horse is trotting, you should post period. And, um, so the trot posting is about smoothing out that, um, you know, elevation gain, that, that roughness or that dynamic nature of the trot. There's a lot of vertical motion in the trot. And rather than just bounce down on the horse's back, pounding your bottom into his back, um, the post is a controlled bounce, basically, up and down that uh, smooths out that um, vertical lift in the horse's back uh, for both the horse and the rider. So if the horse is trotting, you should be posting um, unless it's a very, very slow collected trot. And if you don't care about the gatedness of the horse, then I don't, I don't think you have a problem. There are other things more important. If you expect this horse to gate or you wanted to, for some reason, increase the value of the horse, what your friend was talking about, uh, then you would have to send the horse to a trainer probably for at least 90 days. So now you've got, you know, at least 3000 more dollars into the horse, um, is the horse worth $3,000 more? Maybe, maybe not, depending on how successful the trainer was and how naturally talented the horse was. So absolutely, if the horse is trotting, you should be posting. And uh, I would focus three and a half years of age. I would be focusing on the basics and getting that horse good manners, good, good fundamentals of riding and some experience going down the road. So good luck. Now, that's all we have time for today, and I want to thank you for listening. Next month, I'll be back with another brand new episode. Remember to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode and invite your equestrian friends to join us. I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you, and I appreciate all your feedback, your suggestions, and questions. Do you have a horse training question or issue you want me to talk about? Message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Ride On with Julie Goodnight is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like the show, do me a big favor and subscribe, comment, and share. It means a lot to me and it helps new listeners find this podcast. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Julie Goodnight to get even more training advice and updates. And head on over to my online academy for tons of free training resources, memberships, and online coaching with me at juliegoodnight.com academy. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your upper level skills, I hope you found some helpful information to make your horse life better. 
Thanks again for your insightful comments and for the five-star ratings so that more horse lovers like you and me can find this podcast. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening, and please stay safe and enjoy the ride.